Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in Him. Uh, please enjoy the following message, and if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I had a, uh, a good friend in high school. His name was Stuart. And he was a great wrestler, state champion. That's what he did. That's what you knew this guy by. He was built like a wrestler and uh, was good at it. Great sense of humor, though, as well. And anyhow, it was senior year, and uh, we're all talking about something. And, and um, I think I was talking about wrestling and what's he going to do, what school is he going to choose, you know, because I was assuming that would get him into a favorite school of his, maybe a Big Ten school. And he told me he hated to wrestle. Hated it. Once he was done, he wasn't going to wrestle again. And I asked him, you know, what's going on? What is that? It's crazy, right? You're so good at it. You seem to like it. And he said, I only do it because my dad wants me to do it. I've been wrestling. I've been working hard because that's what dad wants. Makes him happy. And not to say it's wrong to make your dad happy. That's probably the lesson we're learning. See, you shouldn't make your dad happy. But you could tell the way he spoke, you could tell the way he looked, that his relationship with his father was that. It was performance-based. At least that's what he thought. Dad loved me. Dad appreciated me. Dad bragged about me because of what I did. And it was so sad. I remember talking with him and just so you could just feel the sadness that he had. Maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe you've been there as a daughter or as a son. Or maybe as a dad, you find yourself tending to be totally performance-based in your love for your kids. I would say that that understanding of God as Father, getting that right, is the very essence of life. I mean, the effect of your relationship with your, your dad, also your mom, but that's another sermon, but with your dad can really set the tone of who you are. I know I've said this before, uh, I think talking about Jesus' baptism, but it really can. And I would say that everyone actually, in some way or the other, believes in God, that there is a God. In the back of their head, there is a God, and he is that father. But I think we have different concepts of what that is. And I think in Christianity... We have very, can have very different understandings of what kind of dad that is. And in today's parable, Jesus tells us something that is absolutely crucial. This parable that I'm going to go through is the most important verses in the Bible. If you don't understand what Jesus is saying, you will completely misunderstand the whole Bible, who God is, and who you are. If you do not get this, then Easter makes no sense to you. And I would say this parable, understanding it, is the difference between churches. 
So listen up to what Jesus says. And you've heard this so many times because it's called the parable of the prodigal son. How many times we hear that? I still don't think we really hear it. So Jesus, he has these, uh, he's got his disciples, and they're just a mixed match, a hodgepodge, right? And he's hanging out frequently with sinners, with broken down people that were sinners, by the way. It's not acceptable that they were sinners. They were bad people. But they knew it because society had rules that threw them outside, rightfully. They knew what that meant to be an outcast and to be bad. And so they loved to hang out with Jesus because he gave forgiveness, but then there are the Pharisees in every, all the New Testament, all the Gospels, and they're the ones that understood God as judge, and they thought they were doing the right things. They were in synagogue all the time. They were doing all the right sacrifices. They were good, and they were physically, right, of the right uh, parenthood back to Abraham. That's how they understood God, see? And they were annoyed by Jesus because he hung around with sinners. It didn't make sense because he's supposed to be the Messiah, the righteous one. So Jesus says this paragraph, this, uh, this parable. This parable is for people that think they're sons and daughters of God because of what they do. Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, right there, anytime you would, I mean, if my kids right now were to say that, I would tell them, sorry, I don't have any, first of all. <laughs> but to say that, to ask for your inheritance, is essentially to tell your dad what? I wish you were dead. <laughs> but since you're not, maybe I can skip a step and get the inheritance that I would get if you were. This is so insulting. And second, he's the second son. He's the youngest. He doesn't have the, uh, he's, not, he's not supposed to be the first one asking for that inheritance. So he not only is being so crass and seeing his dad as simply a bag of money, he's also rejecting his brother as well, right? So that's crazy that he's even doing this. But what is crazier in this parable? What does the dad do? He gives it to him. He divides and gives it to him. You need to understand, this parable is oftentimes called the prodigal son. Prodigal means ridiculous, reckless, wasteful. And we think of the son, as we're going to find out, you all know, lives a wasteful life. But who is more wasteful? And ridiculous and reckless is the father. Would you ever do this to your kid? If he came up today, you go home, he says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. Would you give it to him? Please say no. You would not do this. That's not good parenting. <laughs> and yet he does. I would say, we talked, I think, I, I think we mentioned this in the stewardship a, a while ago, a stewardship conversation with a stewardship group. This is God's love for all people. We waste his stuff all the time. We think that his stuff, this world, everything is ours and to the disregard of other people. The whole world revolves around. This is the essence of who human beings are and who God is. And yet God keeps on taking care of you. He gives to you. He gave you your job. He gave you your house. He gave you your home. And yet we live recklessly as if it's just ours and demanding. And yet he keeps on giving. 
The very fact, last week we talked about it. Why do, the question is not why do bad things happen to good people? The question is why do good things happen to bad people, us? And God keeps on giving. The very fact you wake up in the morning and see a beautiful blue blue day like this is a blessing from God. And so the guy does, as we all know, right? He, since he's called the prodigal son, he needs to now live prodigally, and he does exactly that. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Um, Which, if you watch any lottery winner, I believe it's like 99% of them, money is gone. Even if it's millions by the end of the year. I really, I think that's a fact, right? I think it is, therefore it is. No, I'm joking. So look it up. That's American thinking, right? I think it's a fact. Feels right. Anyhow, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose. First of all, who has lived recklessly? Maybe you've done not what this guy's done, but who wastes what God has given them? Besides me. So you don't have to raise your hand, but uh, yeah. So we got three people. No, I'm joking. We do, don't we? So, a fan, so he, he squanders his property. When he had spent every dime, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And if you're a Jewish person listening to this, that is, it's not just sad and awful that he's lost everything, and now he's working for a farmer off in some foreign country, but he's feeding pigs an unclean animal. This is a, a, an accursed life for the disciples and the Pharisees listening to this parable. He's at the bottom of the barrel. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. That's how desperate he was. And no one gave him anything. Every time I, I cannot believe how many times I've read this parable. And every time something else jumps out. Luke writes this. Jesus says this. And no one gave him anything in contrast to what? Living with his dad. Because that's how the world is. You don't just get stuff for free. Whenever you see something say it's free, usually you're thinking, yeah, I'm sure it's not. I got to pay something, right? Nothing happens for free. And nor should it. Everything is prid, quo, quo. You have to do something to get it. You get what you deserve. Absolutely nothing's for free. And now this guy needs something for free. And he goes out and looks into the world and it is silent. Nothing. So he comes to himself, which is a way of saying he came to his senses. Thus proving suffering is always, for a Christian, a blessing. It's hard to see that at first. But if this had not happened, this guy never would come to his senses. So he comes to his senses. And he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your uh, hired servants. That is the best that this guy can hope for, for in this position. That is his religion. He will gain back his father's, not even love, but just to exist within his father's grasp as a servant. That's all he's got in his head, right? 
I've screwed up. There is no way I can ever be his son again. So I'm throwing that down the drain. That's not happening. But maybe I can live in his company as a hired person. And that sounds like a positive, wonderful, good news to this guy. That is the gospel for this fellow. There are only two religions in the world. Only. They're all exactly the same. There is one and there's all the others. This is all the others. There is a God and we've screwed up. But maybe we can live as hired hands and go up that ladder and he'll let us live forever. That is all the religions. I promise you. Look it up. Study it. And then there's the religion or throw out that word. The one true God that Jesus is talking about. So this fellow has a plan. And I can't imagine something sadder, quite frankly, is like my friend Stuart. This guy's going to go back and he thinks he's going to work. And that's the extent of his existence is that he's going to be in the same house as his dad, kind of. But they're never going to have that son-daughter relationship. He'll just be a worker that he's going to pass by in the street. So he returns. And uh, Jesus says, as he came to his dad, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Before the kid could say a word, before he could lay out his plan, and without a word from dad, no probation, no comments, no pressing down the guilt, I told you this would happen, he kisses him and embraces him. But number one, before he says anything, the dad sees him because the dad clearly had been out on the porch ever since the boy left looking for him. No, oh Jesus, come into my heart. No, I've decided to follow Christ. Before any of that, the father decided to come running out to you. This is so crucial. So for you that sort of weigh repentance, was I sorry enough for my sin? Did I do the right things to show God that I'm sorry for my sin? I think we learned something very clear here. It ain't about that. Don't focus on the level of repentance in your life. That's not the focus of the Christian life. Focus on the Father who runs out without hearing a word from you and embraces you from a long way off. And let me tell you, the neighbors... In a parable like this, and if, again, if you're a Jewish person here, or Greco-Roman and are hearing this parable, you're hearing a couple things. They're all talking. This dad's an idiot. That he would let the son go with his inheritance. You understand this? A fool. And now he's more of a fool because he was sitting here out waiting for this guy, the son of a gun that has shamed his family. And not only that, everybody knows about this kid too, who screwed up, who wasted it all. He's a failure. And that brought shame back in the day on the whole family. And I think we can appreciate that too. This dad could care less. He runs out to him. What a fool. And back then too, to run out 
a man, especially a patriarch, a father with servants, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. You don't run. That's what kids do. That's what servants do. People come to you. And to run, they're wearing stuff like this. You have to pick it up. I showed the kids earlier. And you have to run like this. You know, it looks silly. You don't do that. But there's the dad doing it, looking like a fool, looking like a reckless person who just unconditionally and stupidly, liberally loves this son prodigally and embraces him. This is it. And the guy starts speaking. And he says, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father says, we can't finish his little contract, his little, you know, thing that he was going to do. I'll do this. You do that. He couldn't even finish. The dad interrupts him and says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead. And he's alive. He was lost and found. And he celebrated. No halfway. No probation. No, we'll see if you're really a better person. No, you know, son, this is great, but I'm going to have to have you work this off. And so for a year, maybe you can over time pay back this inheritance. Zilch. You're either in or you're out in Christianity. You are either completely saved by God's grace or you are not. There is no half. You are not growing in righteousness. You are not growing to be a better person. And hopefully by God's grace you'll enter heaven. You either are a son or you are not. You get the best robe. Whether you're an infant just baptized. Whether you're something that totally lived a crappy life your whole life. And on your deathbed you say, I'm sorry. Jesus brings out the best robe. And you are a son like that. You get this? If you don't, I feel very bad for you. I don't think Christians understand this. That's the weird thing. Because Jesus' parable is not about that beautiful little story. It's actually about the second son. And I think that can be us. People who live in the church, who are Christians, but don't realize what we have. So he does this. The older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, kind of like the Traveler's Gala. And he called one of these servants and asked what these things meant. You know, what's going on? And the guy says, your brother has come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. That should be great, right? If you, honestly, seriously, if you were the second son, would you be all happy? No. That's the Pharisees. But the reason why they're not happy, and the reason why the son is happy, is because he absolutely doesn't understand what it means to be a father and a son. And uh, he says to him, and and so he's angry, he refuses to go in, but who comes out again? The father. 
So who's in charge of the church? Who is the one that's doing the coming? Who's the one who's doing the moving? It's always the Father in this parable. It's always God. It is never you or me. When you were saved, it was God that found you and brought you into the kingdom. And as a person within it, it is him that comes out to you when you're grumbling and angry and screwing up and a sinner. Praise God he does this. And we see this here. So the father comes out to him. Why? Because he loves this kid too. And this also shows us, even those Pharisees are fixing to kill Jesus. He has a deep sense of compassion for them and loves them. Because they just don't get how much God loves them. So the, fa- so the father comes out and entreats him to come in, right? Join the party. But he answers his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And this son of yours comes who's devoured your property with, with uh, prostitutes. Killed the fat and you killed the fattened calf for him. And right there we see something. Even though this kid never left, he'd been gone for a long time. Even this kid was standing right in front of his dad for the last 30 years while his brother was being a jerk. This kid was more lost than the first son. Because all this while, he thought his dad loved him because he was a good son. Is that true? All this while he thought his father fed him and and gave him a house and even hugged him because somewhere he was making him feel good that he was uh, performing well. My, My friend Stuart, this young man was living the saddest life of all, even though he didn't squander anything. He probably was a good kid, but inside his dad was a a boss and he was a worker isn't that funny and I strongly suggest that the Christian church has a real problem with this that people sitting in the pews every day throughout the Christian because quite frankly the gospel is not being preached that we go from you are welcomed in grace yep we all agree with that but once you're in the church well you need to keep up with attendance you need to keep up with your righteous life or you know what I'm saying People preach like this. You are saved, but now you need to keep on doing good works. You got to watch out. Nope, that's not how it works. This is good news for Christians. The gospel is for Christians too, not just people who don't know Jesus. We forget this. And when you know that and realize that, that's why every Sunday I apologize, but I need to keep on telling you this because I forget it too, because the world doesn't work like that. And so every Sunday, we need to have somebody knocking us on our head, bringing us to repentance and telling us you are loved by God totally because he loves to love you. And when you know this, it frees you, doesn't it? Because if the Pharisees really understood this, they would not have been jealous of Jesus hanging out with sinners. It would make sense because they understood that they were a sinner and that God loves them too, right? But when you know that you are loved unconditionally by God, despite your performance, that he loves you because he is your father in heaven, that in baptism you are born again, you are given the best robe, put a ring on your finger, and made a member of the family, and every Sunday is a celebration of that, then you will treat others a lot better. Not just the people here, but outside. 
And you will invite them. You'll go to them because that's how God works. He goes to them. No one's going to come to St. James because out of nowhere they woke up and said, you know what? I'm going to go to St. James. No, God comes to us. And that's why we exist is to go out to people who don't know what God thinks about them. That live just like one of these sons. They're either totally lost or, or they think God judges performance-based. May we do that as a church and not stop doing that as a church. And may you live in that joy of being loved by God simply because he loves you. And nothing's going to stop that. In Jesus' name. 